Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Sprints podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. And I'm your host, Yag. In this episode, we are going to get a glimpse into the behind the scenes content marketing playbook of ClickUp, a brand that jumped into the red ocean category of project management and not only came out on top, but now the incumbents are playing catch up. And today to share her wisdom with us, we have Melissa Rosenthal, an award-winning marketing executive and chief creative officer at ClickUp. Be it Forbes 30 under 30 or Digiday Changemakers, if you are in the game, you've already heard Melissa's name. With that, hey ho, let's go. Melissa, I'm so, so, so happy to have you here today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Melissa, I was, when I was going through your uh, profile, you know, there was something that was very interesting about you. You don't come from a typical SaaS background. You come from media. And then you come at ClickUp, and now it's known for the best-in-class SaaS marketing. And if you look at this crazy competitive space, which is only next to CRM, you managed to deliver 100x growth. So maybe, you know, if you can give us a dipstick into... Uh, your current playbook and what is the role of content when it comes to your playbook today? Yeah, I mean, content has always been historically a, a big part of ClickUp's playbook. Um, when I first came to the company, um, I just saw this kind of blue sky opportunity to differentiate what content truly meant to a SaaS brand. And, you know, you mentioned that my history and historical, you know, has been in media. And I think a lot of, you know, what my experience has been in media has taught me so much about like how people connect with content and what resonates and thinking about that emotional resonance first, rather than thinking about just producing content for content's sake. And I think there's a lot of that. I think there'll probably be less of that now uh, with AI actually. So lots of interesting developments, obviously in the tech world happening, but I always wanted to you know, think about how every small thing that we do could infuse personality, could be differentiated. And, you know, a lot of these things, even to start, were, were typical, you know, marketing activities and, and you know, go to market motions, but that you can infuse that differentiated brand and tone into everything that you do, you can really stand out. And obviously there's taking a few risks along the way and, and doing things that might be a little bit polarizing or controversial and understanding, you know, the risks and reverse rewards of that. But yeah, I mean, that was, you know, what I, my vision was when I, when I first came here and what I thought I could bring a lot from, from the media world. Yeah, no, that's absolutely interesting because, uh, you know, I've seen ClickUp way back uh, in 2019 and the way I see ClickUp right now, it's an entire personality change. You know, now it's far more uh, uh, bubbling with enthusiasm, uh, the mic fries and, uh, you know, there's so many aspects that I absolutely love about. And uh, is that is that coming from your uh, BuzzFeed days? Is it coming from your Cheddar days? Where does this influence come from? Yeah, I mean, it comes from from both. I mean, luckily, I have this incredible team, and I don't want to take the credit for all, all most of this because I just, you know, I empower my team to do amazing work. And our head of video is from BuzzFeed. I worked with him. He's, you know, my creative partner in a lot of this. So he's, you know, a, I would say a huge reason why uh, we're able to do what we do. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, the BuzzFeed days were were certainly about virality and experimentation. And, you know, I'm, I don't believe in copying and pasting playbooks, but I do believe in copying and pasting elements of the things that work 
logically, like throughout your periods of, of your career and understanding how you can apply those to different industries, different fields, new categories is really interesting for me. So at BuzzFeed, you know, we were a team of 10 people just trying to figure out the internet and figuring out like why people would share content with each other. Now, when you think about the fundamentals of like that, that carries through to every single industry, right? Every single market, people are trying to figure out how to connect with their end customer. So just because we were doing that with a broader internet, there were a lot of lessons learned because we were able to really like play in the full spectrum of content. There were, nothing was really off limits because we were, it was such an experiment. So learning, you know, what resonates, how to create that emotional trigger in people, you know, I carried through then to Cheddar when we started that. And a lot of Cheddar was, you know, these this twofold of things happening in the industry. One, the the appetite for a disruption in consumer consumption of streaming TV versus the traditional cable bundle was that like, tech change and that behavioral change that we needed to see in the industry to make that possible. And then on the differentiated angle, you know, everything we did about Cheddar was differentiated from our competition. So we were competing against Fox Business and CNBC, and we were having young, diverse people on air that could speak about the things that were actually happening in venture capital and in different markets and different industries in a way that spoke to the millennial audience in a way that the other categories and the other incumbents didn't. And the other part of that was, you know, we infused personality into it. We did theme Fridays, you know, where we, we joked on air and did funny things. Our entire branding was young and vibrant and hot pink and yellow. And even the name of the company being Cheddar, you know, for, for money, it just spoke to an entirely different audience. And the design wasn't even Cheddar cheese. No, it was Swiss cheese, yeah, which which was like, you know, people would joke about that. And honestly, that was a part of the branding because if you can get people like argue about the, you know, the type of cheese your logo is, you're, you're doing something right. So, you know, there were very small decisions that went into how to differentiate us from the incumbents. And, you know, that was a big part of, again, how like I took that and played that into kind of what I believed ClickUp's brand could become. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's one thing that I was also going to ask you because that I I see that bit common between uh, Cheddar and right now because there back in the day I think you uh, you were punching up straight away with uh, with the CNBCs and uh, MSNBCs of the world, and uh, here you are taking up some of the giants like Jira's and uh, you know the existing players here. So this did that come from there? Because when I look at each of these things, something that I really found interesting was it was not directly punching but it was more looking like pop culture aspects that one would talk about in memes and one would talk about in reddit so where does those ideas come from yeah that's a great point that's like yes we were punching up at cnbc we were punching up at and and, and that i think gave me you know this fearlessness in, in doing it which is a good thing to have because you you kind of don't know what you're doing until you do it so Having done that before, I was like, all right, we can we can take a risk here. But to your point, it was a calculated risk because we were punching up against specific competitors that we knew had this kind of already this virality in mainstream that people were dissatisfied with them. So if we could really play off of that and tackle it in a very smart, humorous, satirical way, uh, we knew that we would probably hit that right mark. So it's, it's a mix of 
we're, you know, we're not going after everyone in the sense that like, we're just going to do like constant competitive jabs at every single competitor in, in the capacity that we did with Jira. But when you have that opportunity and you see something that's already taking off in the mainstream, why not go for it? Like people already resonate with that. Take that and adapt it to your own playbook. Yeah. Was it ever difficult to sell that internally as a concept? Because the, getting the buy-in on doing something like that, you know, everybody has to be on board. Yeah, I mean, um, not, no, not to the extent that you would think it would be. I mean, I joined this company because of, uh, you know, a, a few reasons, but one of them being leadership that was already here, Zeb, the CEO, he is uh, awesome and very vibrant and bold, if you've ever seen him. Uh, he wears very, you know, bold shirts, and that's definitely his personality. He loves to take risks. He loves to kind of, you know, go after, you know, competition in fun ways. So it wasn't a hard sell. I would say that it was more of like my own, like, is this going to get me fired? <laughs> but um, the reality of it was I, I wouldn't have joined a company that wasn't wasn't willing to take risks like this. And I, you know, we, we, we knew it was a calculated risk. It's like people either love or hate this type of advertising. We know we can do it in a really fun and smart way, but you know, people will hate it regardless because they don't like competitive jabs. They, they don't like you mentioning your competitors and ads. But then yeah. if you go back to the Mac first PC era of advertising, you know, that's yeah. one of the most historically referenced campaigns ever. So, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. You just have to understand going into it that uh, it, it's going to be polarizing, even if you do it really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, if you can take us through a little bit about, um, you know, ClickUp's uh, current marketing org structure, like who are the people that report into you and how is marketing actually structured internally? Yeah, marketing is actually pretty complex here. We have an entire growth organization. So we have folks, you know, focused on demand gen and folks focused on um, growth products so that are creating viral loops throughout the product. Um, so that org is really basically all of marketing. So what would fall under a traditional marketing structure falls under a growth structure, which I think you're actually seeing more and more at different companies. So I oversee everything that touches brand. So design, video, social events, everything that kind of falls within that scope falls under me. But I work very collaboratively with all of our other partners. But my goal is to infuse that brand, that personality into every single marketing activity that we're doing, even if I'm not leading it. Right, right. So what are the roles that directly report into you? Video, events, design, motion graphics, all of the very creatively skilled minded people uh, report into me. Got it. Got it. No, it's fabulous. When I look back at your career, you know, probably I think you started from um, uh, from Long Island, from there moved to New York, and then you came to um, San Diego. And I see personality coming in, you know, from a typical New Yorker into the San Diego side. So uh, is, <laughs> does that have a lot of influence in the way you do? Yeah, definitely. There's an attitude and a style of someone that would come from New York, I would say, that uh, is different than a Southern California native, maybe. Right. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of a bit of that because you've been through the ringer. I mean, every day in New York, you have to fight just to survive. So, exactly. you know, I think some I think some of that and, and infusing that both like with the startup scene and just like your living environment into into like a San Diego based, you know, company or software company um, definitely has had like a, a positive net positive impact on, on the what I bring in my style. 
yeah, yeah, you know, San Diego is much more softer. And uh, you see a personality here, you see, oh, wow, there's a difference there. You know, one of the things that you mentioned somewhere really uh, caught my interest, and I wanted to ask you about that. Somewhere you said that content is not only the product, but an entire monetization model. So I would love to hear a little more on that perspective. What do you mean when we say that content can be your entire monetization there? Well, what what I meant there was that it, it shouldn't be. And that's why I moved out of media. So I didn't want to have to monetize content. I wanted content to be the driver of monetization through inbound and through demand gen by a nature of creating the right messages for the right audiences, because I believe in having a physical product. <laughs> so I think that's that's what I, I meant by that. Like I, I'd been through the the days, you know, years and years and years of selling content. And I, I don't really love that model because, you know, there, there's not an actual, I like, I, I don't know, there's not a nice way to say it. I mean, you know, like a lot of these media companies are not doing well now because they realized that if you are building your entire monetization structure based on platform distribution, that you're not going to win. So not having like the diversification of revenue or actually having a product to stand behind it is not great. Like there's an example of a media company, um, they're owned by group, it's group nine. It's called the Dodo. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it, you know, they used to flood your Facebook feed with all these pet, you know, videos. Yeah. A lot of that also has become like completely commoditized. So like, you know, it's, it's a different game, but the Dodo bought a pet insurance company. So now all of the content actually feeds to a product and a service and a subscription plan. So that's what I believe in, you know, can really be infused in B2B. If you start taking the media model and applying that to an actual product, I mean, that's where I want it to be. And that's where I think, you know, that, that's what I meant by that. Right, right. But, but that media background really, really helps because the way marketing is done at ClickUp is not the regular marketing that you would see in SaaS. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, standout. It's very, very different and it definitely catches the eye. You know, it, uh, when you look at it, it feels like these are not regular people who have been doing SaaS marketing over the years. Yeah. And I think that's great. Like, I think infusing like a culture of folks from, from journalism backgrounds and from media backgrounds is exactly what SaaS needs. You know, if you have some, if someone that's been doing the same role for 10 years, there's not like a lot of incentive to evolve, but if you're bringing in other disciplines and other things that have worked from other industries into that model, then all of a sudden you, you can become a real disruptor. Yeah. Yeah. And looking at uh, some of your videos, I wanted to ask, what is your uh, framework for getting your content really vital? I know virality is not the end goal, but I, there seems to be a certain formula and framework which makes every video work. Yeah, the framework is is really just appealing to people's pain points and understanding like the frustrations of the modern day worker and then also like what we can touch on in mainstream. So the combination of AI and frustration at work and the pain points, like it all kind of goes together. And then, you know, hatred of certain companies, I won't name it right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like the, all of that can be fodder for like the ideation and like skeleton of how we build our programming to really appeal to people in in those different you know areas and i mean when you think about our like our addressable market it is really like the modern day worker you know we we work from teams of tens to thousands of people so when you think about the end buyer that could really be anyone that can influence the decision so to reach them through the understanding the pain points or making them laugh is, is sort of the goal there 
And one of the first things that I took notice of in the initial days about ClickUp compared to any other competitor was this seemed to be one product that brought the entire company together on one platform. You know, the all-in-one yes. messaging was something new at that time. Now, everybody calls themselves all-in-one. But all how one. did that yeah. whole idea come up? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that was a bold move by Zeb to say, like, we're going to be the one app to replace them all. And it, you know, not even being descriptive of what that actually meant was a little bit of like, leave it to the imagination, make people look up, what is this app to replace them all? What is the all in one? Even if it wasn't true at the time, you know, that's where we're moving towards anyway. And that's the beauty of marketing. You can say a lot of, make a lot of bold claims and, you know, be able to stand out that way. And I mean, that ultimately is the goal. It's, It's all of your work in one place. It's every single thing that you need to do to get work done and be efficient and collaborate with other people you can do within ClickUp. And that's really, you know, almost three years ago, that was at the very beginning, early stages of it and and where we are now with the rollout of 3.0, we're getting pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up uh, 3.0 because over the last one, one and a half months or so, I've been very closely watching the 3.0 move. And um, especially one of the launches that I did in one of my previous companies was very closely mapped to what you guys did because I was very closely observing and uh, I took a lot of inspiration from that. But what has been your learnings from that launch and uh, you know, what are your key takeaways from that? Yeah, I mean, I think we we announced it very early to get people excited about it and rolled it out yeah. a little bit later. And, you know, it's, it's you know, things should probably be a more continual rollout of features over time rather than one big date. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think there's a, a lot of learning, like when you're when you're kind of moving your product to the next generation of what it's going to be, being able to like actually guarantee exact timelines and, and, and all of that and face a lot of marketing events around it, you know, like Level Up was was a basically a huge launch, like pre-launch celebration of everything to come with 3.0. But, you know, to guarantee dates, you know, maybe we would have done that differently. Right, right. And you had a kind of a beta, uh, you know, join this list to get informed kind of stuff and which which came in much later. So people still did uh, sign up for that and people were still on the waiting list. So that's quite amazing. It doesn't happen to every company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've we have so many thousands of people that are signed up for the, you know, for the waiting list to to get the rollout of features first and, you know, everyone is really excited about it and I'm I mean, I'm thrilled I've seen it. It's it's amazing. It's like the next generation of what work should look like. So, yeah, I mean, there was a, a ton of excitement around it and, you know, I think like it, it's hard to make everyone happy, but yeah, I mean, the the rollout of of the waitlist and everything and we're announcing a very big feature tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. So, wow. cool to be on here to to be uh, almost almost ready to talk about it. Uh, it's very exciting. So excited uh, excited to share with that with the world tomorrow. You'll see a lot of uh, fun, cool, funny content too. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. I think the, the entire LinkedIn is going to be buzzing soon. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> awesome. So with that, uh, we come to the next round of our conversation, uh, which is more like a game show. We call it the rapid fire section. I'm going to shoot five okay. short questions at you. The questions may be short. The answers need not be. And you can go with the flow, whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Yeah, I'm ready. Always ready. Right. So what is one commonly held productivity tip that you disagree with? Uh, One commonly held productivity tip that there is a style of productivity that works for everyone. I do not believe that. I think, you know, you have to, while I do believe like centralizing your work makes a lot of sense, the tips of how you actually go about 
being the most productive version of yourself is very different than that. So the organization of the things that you need to get done makes sense, but how you actually bring yourself to be more productive is very different. So I, you know, and, and people have different brains, right? There's, you know, neurodiversity for, for that there to be this, like, get up at 5 a.m. and drink five gallons of water and work out for three <laughs> hours and then work till 2 a.m. You know, like that, that is just, I think that's a myth. And I think the more that we embrace the fact that different have, people have different styles of working, then we can embrace full self-productivity through ourselves and through the technology that can get us there. No, that is awesome. The central theme that I'm hearing is never let go of your personality. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's it. That's it. That's a good summarization. Yeah, that's that's awesome. All right. Uh, here's uh, question number two. Here's a situation. Let's say someone that you admire a lot invites you for a meeting and you know that it's not the best use of your time. What would you say to turn it down? <laughs> this is a great question. I would say that you know, hi, so it's someone I respect. I, I mean, I would say I would, I would respond to them and just tell them that my schedule is really busy. I would always, I always respond. I always a hundred percent respond. I would yeah. say now isn't the best time, but if you want to do anything or run something by me async, I'm more than happy to review it, send it over. I'll take, I'll take some time and then we can schedule a meeting in the next you know month or two when, when I have availability. So I'm, I'm always willing to look something over async or respond to someone. But if the phone call isn't the best use of my time until I've reviewed something, then I will politely say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be transparent with you. And I find actually a second piece of this question is that way too many people are not transparent about, yeah. you know, or or they don't respond. And I think like uh, the best thing that I ever, that ever, it wasn't the best thing, but it was very, it was cool to have happen. Um, I emailed Mark Cuban when I was at BuzzFeed and he oh, responded wow. to me within, it was like an ask to, to ask him about an app that he was building. And he answered me within 10 minutes. And if Mark Cuban can answer you within 10 minutes, you can get back to someone, whether you're interested or you're not interested. And he does that. Like, I've heard that from other people, too. He'll say, I don't have the time. He will respond and say, I don't have the time. But he will respond. So I think it's 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 respond and be honest. Yeah, no, I've seen the same uh, same kind of behavior with uh, Seth Gordon as well. He always responds, whether yes or no, but he will definitely respond. And in one of my previous podcasts, I did get him after, uh, you know, continuously following up with him for 11 years. So that was a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it paid off though, right? That's yeah, great. Yeah, that is awesome. All right. So here's uh, another fun question. Here's question number three. What is your favorite among the six core values of ClickUp? For the listeners, let me repeat the six values. Number one is deliver the best customer experience, period. And the number two is no politics. Three is uh, normal fucking sucks. And uh, four is get shit done and have fun. And number five is grow one person every day. And six is random acts of kindness. Which is your pick and why? Well, I think by talking to me, you probably know that I embody a lot of them. I would flip it on you. What do you think? What do you, which one do you think? <laughs> I, I think I think you are more like get shit done and have fun. That's that's the side that I okay. see a lot. Okay. Okay. Cool. I think that's probably one of my favorites. I would say that com in combination with normal effing sucks is definitely the embodiment of like who I am. Right. Like let's not do anything that's normal and let's get it done and have a great time together and and make sure that we're we're 
creating something that we're really proud of and that brings value to the company and have a good time doing it. So yeah, those are, those are my two favorites, although I, I really like them all. I absolutely love that. All right. So here's uh, question number four. According to you, apart from ClickUp, who is currently absolutely killing it when it comes to content marketing? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of what I love about content marketing is coming from the B2C side. And that's, I think, what you've probably seen a lot of what we've been doing recently. It it embodies much more B2C style of marketing, taking bold risks, having fun, humor. So I love what Liquid Death is becoming and what they're doing. I feel like they're like Red Bull 2.0 in their yeah. style of, of content creation and having fun and just like incorporating celebrities in, in insane ways and doing it very consistently. I think like the idea of like a campaign is sort of dead. And I think the style of what they're rolling out, how quickly and consistently is, is something that, you know, we're trying to do on the B2B side. So uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love what they're doing. It's bold. It's, it's, it's innovative. It's cool. And um, you know, they have a very cool brand. So yeah. Yeah. Liquid death. I, I love it as well. You know, especially the fonts and the way they do it. It's, it's, it really shows the character of who they are representing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So the last question is inspired by your uh, one of the recent LinkedIn posts. In three words or less, what is your advice for somebody to help them come out of their imposter syndrome? My, yeah, I asked everyone else <laughs> this. And uh, I mean, mine would be keep pushing forward. And I think like there's so many times where like there will be something that will just drain your confidence. And like historically in my career, I don't remember any of those things. I do and I don't, you know, like I've written them down, but like to have that happen, but to kind of have like, I would say positive, net positive amnesia is a really good way of approaching things because the more, well, um, those negative things, you know, celebrate your wins and remember your wins, remember your failures so you can learn from them, but allow your wins to give you the confidence to push forward in any situation. Like that's what's going to actually make you able to perform, give you the confidence to take those risks, right? Like I think the worst thing about imposter syndrome is that it can really hold people back from becoming who they're meant to be in their career and their life because they're afraid. So the more that you can like use your wins to boost your self-confidence within your career and your life, the more luck you'll have. It's not luck. It's, It's just building confidence to be able to have a voice in a room or say something with absolute, you know, conviction. Yeah. Yeah. No, building your own luck. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. And you know what? You hit all five questions out of the park. That's amazing. (laughs) That's, I that's mean, so cool. <laughs> just being me. But th- thank you. They were great questions and, and great reference points too. No, absolutely. I, I, I really loved, uh, you know, going back and um, reading up and doing some research for this particular episode because there was so much of fun stuff and I had to really pick and choose the ones that I could get in quick time. Otherwise, I could have gone on for hours. So yeah, uh, if, if people, you know, who are listening to us today, if uh, they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to connect with you? As I mentioned, I do respond to pretty much everything. So LinkedIn is a great way. Just send me a, a DM or a message. I, I respond to those pretty much all the time. I That's why I'm usually on some of, a lot of these podcasts. I, I respond to the messages. So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me and the quickest. Awesome. And uh, if you have to uh, leave a parting message for the people who are listening to us today, what would that be? Yeah, this is so Apple, but dare to think differently, right? Dare to do things differently, to take risks, to be bold, 
the worst thing that will happen is you'll fail and learn from them. But if you never try them, then you'll have the lifelong regret of not doing that. And don't be afraid to be yourself. I think when you can, when you can come to work every day and feel like you can absolutely be the person that you're meant to be, you're going to really succeed in, in your career and in life. So, you know, dare to, dare to be different and dare to think differently. Yeah. Yeah. People who are crazy enough to change the world are the ones that do. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa. I, I enjoyed every minute of this conversation and uh, thank you for spending your time with us today. This was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, this was so awesome. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for the great questions. This was awesome. 